opening illustration last night uh, that I was going to bring back this morning. It was kind of the plan. And then at 9.18 last night, all things changed for everything in Indianapolis when your phone dinged and you looked at it and it said, Andrew Luck is retiring. And then you bawled and cried and you sat in sackcloth and ashes for the whole night, right? And you woke up thinking it was a bad dream, but it wasn't. It's true, right? He's retiring. And so I was like, we, we've got to say something about that this morning. We're talking about mission this morning, the mission statement of Mercy Road. And so I was thinking about mission statements. And, and for the Colts, I'm going to go with it. 8-18 last night, they were playing a preseason game. And probably in the locker room, there was probably like the mission statement for this season. Probably said something like, win every game, make the playoffs, win the Super Bowl, right? At 8-18. At 9.19, I think there was probably somebody that went in and took that mission statement down. And the mission statement now is like, try not to get hurt. Don't make it embarrassing. Play for next season, right? That's the new mission statement for the Colts. They're going to have sites. Because, you know, last year it was like one and zero, whatever it was, you know, everyone in. Now the shirts are just going to say, Let's get through this season. How about the draft? That's what it's going to say. Colts football. How about the draft? I, mean, I can't imagine, though, you think about how much a mission makes a difference to a community. I mean, honestly, if you're a Colts player right now, how difficult is it going to be for you to go get your brains beat out for 16 more games knowing that we're not going to win, okay? Let's be honest, okay? We might squeeze out a couple wins here and there, but let's just all breathe it in. We're not going to the playoffs, guys, right? We're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. We can hope for a good draft pick. That is our new mission statement as Colts fans. Let's just embrace it and move that direction, okay? Now, if you hate football, you don't even know who Andrew Luck is. Sorry for wasting that three minutes of your life, okay? But for the rest of us, we need to understand how much a mission changes how we interact our expectations, our, 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 our actual drive for life. A mission actually defined is this. It's a strong felt aim, an ambition or calling. The word mission in the Latin actually means sent. This mission that we're sent out, this aim, this passion, this commission. We are actually... As Christians, a commissioned community. I love the word commission. It actually means co, right? The first part is with, mission. We're a people with a mission, and the mission that we're with is we're with Jesus on his mission. Because before Jesus went back to heaven, he said, here's the last thing I want you guys to remember. Don't forget this. This is the utmost of importance. Here is the great commission, right? It's in Matthew chapter 28. It goes like this. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Strong start for Jesus. So he's not saying, hey, you know, we could maybe get this done. Jesus starts and says, I've got all the power in the universe. I'm like better than He-Man. <laughs> you guys remember He-Man when we were kids? Only if you're 40. All right, let's keep moving. <laughs> Anybody that's like 35 and younger is like, He-Man, right? Let's keep going. So Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. That is our mission. This is why we exist as a community. We are a commissioned community. If you're here this morning and you're not yet following Jesus, this does not yet apply to you. If you're here and you say, I am a follower of Jesus, this is my church, I'm a part of this Jesus thing, that is your mission. It's our mission. And to forget the mission is death. During war times, I'm told and I've read that, that if a soldier was found outside of the mission area and he was approached, and even if he was friendly fire, a friendly soldier, they would ask, what's your mission? And if in a battlefield area they could not recite their mission on call, they would be shot because they wouldn't be sure if they were actually an enemy or not. And so the statement came is to forget the mission is death. The same is true for us. Because if we as individuals and then collectively as a community forget this mission, and it is not the actually organizing principle by which we live our lives and exist as a church, we will experience death as a church. Now, we might still have a lot of people here attending, but we will be a dead church. We'll be a religious club of people that get together weekly to entertain each other. And there's a lot of places called churches in America that are doing just that. I used to attend some of them where they would come together for their like yearly gathering to report on how things are going in their denomination. And it would be like the 10th year in a row that they reported no salvations or baptisms. Like you may go, no way, because at Mercy Road, we can't even conceive of that, let's make that our norm, that we can't conceive that that's actually happening. But there are hundreds and hundreds of churches in America who are on their 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th year where they've not seen anyone come to faith or be baptized, and they still call themselves a church. But guess what? They're dead because they forgot the mission. The reason we do underground Jesus every single year is to bring it back to say, this is why we exist. This is our model. This is our motto. This is our mission. And so today we're going to rock through the mission statement, which basically says this. We exist to see people far from God disciple into a passionate relationship with Jesus. We exist to see people far from God discipled into a passionate relationship with Jesus. Let's start by just what we're going to do today. We're going to just dissect this statement and see how we vibe with it, okay? So let's start with the first two words. We exist. Strong start for us, isn't it? We exist. I mean, Josh, why couldn't you come up with like, we think it's a decent idea that. We'd like to get around to it if we have time. No, we, we're going with put it on the wall, get it on a T-shirt, say we exist to do this. Exist is a big word. It literally means to be, to live, to breathe. Like I have to do this like I have to breathe. We exist. I'm going to be honest. 
I don't think it's true. I don't think we exist for the mission of Jesus. You know what I think we exist for? Wi-Fi. I think we exist for Wi-Fi. I really do. Here, let, me, let, me, let, me just, let me help us get our minds and our emotions around this. You got your phone on you? Yes, you do. Grab it. You know exactly where it's at right now. I promise you, you know exactly where your phone's at. Here's, here, any guys out there do the four-pocket check every day? 60 or 70 times a day? I do. It goes like this. Right? I got to make sure that my right front pocket is my car keys because I got to go places. Okay? Then I got to check my left front pocket. That's where I have my chapstick. Okay? Because I have a chapstick addiction. And I will be halfway to somewhere. And if I lost my chapstick, you sure bet your body I'm going home to get said chapstick. Because I start sweating and I'm like, where's my chapstick? I got to have chapstick. Right? Then I always check this pocket. That's where my wallet's at. Got to have that to buy stuff and to drive. Okay? Then left back pocket, that's where the iPhone lives. Okay? At all times, I know where the iPhone is at. It's in my left back pocket. You're a liar if you tell me that you have not at some point in your life done the four-pocket check and your phone's not in your back pocket and you go, <laughs> right? You start to hyperventilate. Ladies, you may not have pockets, but I've seen you guys do this. My wife does this. You may have this huge cavernous Mary Poppins-like purse and the phone is in there. And then you're somewhere and you're like, where's my phone? And then you look and it's not in the right pocket that's supposed to be. And all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> you're digging in there. And if you got an iPhone watching, you're putting, you're making your phone ding so you can find it. And you are fully in a panic attack because you can't find your phone. Let alone if you don't have Wi-Fi. We went on a vacation a couple weeks ago for our friend's 40th birthday. First thing everyone said as we got to the most tropical paradise anyone's ever seen, I've never been in a more beautiful place than I spent a week last month. And every single human being walked into this gorgeous resort thing. And we were like, anybody got the Wi-Fi code? <laughs> we do have Wi-Fi here, right? Like, we have it, correct? Let, let, me, let me just illustrate this and get your emotions going. Grab your phone right now. Hold it up. Hold it up real quick. Come on. Let's play together, Okay. I want you to just go ahead and hand that to the person behind you. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go. It's good. Oh, yeah. Woo. 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 How long is this illustration going to last, Darren? <laughs> Joke's over. <laughs> Some random's holding your phone right now. It's your daughter. It's fine. It's fine. Okay, I just want you to take a breath right now. Feel this. Now, what if I told you there's no Wi-Fi? Josh, shut it down. Darren, listen. Joke's over. I got your funny illustration. And it's stupid. The illustration is stupid. And here's why it's stupid. Because you should know that it's okay that I have this kind of affection, this kind of connection to my phone, because my phone necessitates and actually facilitates my life. Like, I can't go through my day without my phone, because my phone is the way I'm connected to my work and my email and my stuff, and you should know that I gotta have my phone, because that's where social media lives, and my identity, and the way that I actually project myself upon the world so that people actually interact with me the way I want them to interact with me is through social media. It's where my identity comes from, it's where my connection comes from, so your stupid little illustration about why I can't have my phone is stupid. Shut it down, give me back my phone, Randy, behind me. 
And I know where your dumb little illustration is going to go next, right? You're about to say, well, maybe if I saw Jesus the way I saw on my phone. <laughs> I want you to feel the anxious emotion, like what your body's telling you when you gave someone you don't know your phone and you think about not having it. You see, that's passion. And here's my hypothesis this morning. Until we get to the place where our connection and affection for Jesus just gets on par not exceeds, just gets on par to our affection and our connection with our phone, our mission statement is just a statement. We don't exist for it. We think it's a good idea. We're inspired by it. But we exist for Wi-Fi. You can have your phone back. <laughs> Praise God. Now I can breathe. <laughs> Darren, go back to worship on the water. I hate your sermons. All right? <laughs> right, we got to be real about this, don't we? Like, we could stand up and I could preach some sermon. We exist, blah, 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 and give you some, like, you know, sermon about. But let's be real. To exist for the mission of Jesus, it'll wreck your life. It's not a part-time deal. It's not a hobby, right? Because it gets worse the next statement. We start out the gate with we exist, and then we say this, to see people far from God. To see people far from God. This is a tough one. Jesus did this amazingly, and we're going to look at this through the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 19. Grab your Bibles, power them on. You got your phone back, Okay. There's a seat back Bible in front of you probably. Luke chapter 19, find it. To see people far from God. Jesus did this amazing thing. We're talking about the man Zacchaeus. I say Zacchaeus. Everybody else says Zacchaeus. I'm going to say it both ways just to pacify you. Don't hate me for it, okay? We did a lot of research with radio theology. Uh, I get to do a thing called pub theology, and I have a radio show called Radio Theology on 99.5 ZPL every Sunday morning from 7 to 10. And on radio theology, we did a lot of research this morning for our show in the life of Zacchaeus. Evidently, Zacchaeus, big time first century MC, little known fact, was big in the hip hop scene and uh, went on by under the name uh, MC uh, Tree Clima was actually his name. <laughs> and we were able to get back in some of the archeological digs and uncover uh, a, a, a track that Zacchaeus wrote and uh, what we didn't know is that uh, current day Flowrider was actually inspired a lot by DJ Tree Climber. And so we were able to uncover uh, this song that he wrote in the first century. We think it's going to help us understand the scripture a little bit more. Uh, please enjoy, uh, just released uh, from, from sometime in the first century, uh, DJ Tree Climber. Enjoy. Open up the man of Shevitz. It's my house. Come on, turn it up. Uh. I heard about the Messiah coming through town. But I'm a really short fella, had to find higher ground Climbed a sycamore tree up to get a 
Sometimes you gotta jump in, in. Welcome to my house. Jesus, take a seat now. Kick your sandals off. How about we start to grow out? Welcome to my house. Preach that good news so loud. Show me what you do. How about we start to grow out? Uh, welcome to my house. How about that, huh? DJ Tree Climber. Wow. Didn't know he was quite the MC. Just he's got great flow. Let's be honest. So, Darren, why in the world did you guys make that song? That's ridiculous. <laughs> What's more ridiculous than that is the song we released last month. Uh, if you guys saw that one, it was The Foreigner, I Want to Know What Love Is. But we, we changed it to I Want to Know What Tan Is. Because Ryan on the radio show, he's a SPS, SPF albino. He can't tan. And so uh, we had uh, I Want to Know What Tan Is. And then we thought it'd be a good idea to shoot a music video, which we did on my friend's boat. Uh, if you saw it, uh, I'm the guy that's shirtless on the back of the boat dancing like this, right? And you're like, time out, Darren. You, what, what are you doing, right? Like, don't you know you're kind of seen? I don't know if I am or not, but some people may look up to you as like a respected leader in the church in Indianapolis, right? And you were on a boat dancing like this to a stupid cover song you guys read. Are you, are you okay? Like, what are you doing, right? Here's what we're doing. At Radio Theology, we're we're trying to do is, is to exist, to see people far from God. And what we're hoping is that, is that maybe someone who's far from God and has no interest in the Jesus thing and is not trying to go to church, but they listen to the radio or they're on the internet, that they would see one of our videos and they would laugh. And that laughter would go, I might actually trust these Christian people because they made me laugh and made a fool of themselves. And they might listen one more week or two more weeks, and that six months from now, maybe we would say something about Jesus that they would hear that would capture their heart and their soul and their mind and their strength, and they would begin a passionate relationship with Jesus. Because see, here's the deal. If we're going to fulfill our mission, we have to do what Jesus did here. We have to see people far from God, and then we have to be willing to risk our reputation to be seen with them. The mission of Jesus will always be a risk to see people far from God and then risk our reputation to be seen with them. Let's unpack how Jesus did it here in Luke chapter 19. Jesus enters Jericho and he's passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son, is a son of Abraham. For this, listen to this now. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, I pray that this scripture would come to life in the application would change 
the way we love, the way we serve, the way we risk. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got to see people. We've got to exist to see people far from God and then be willing to risk our reputation to be seen with them. You see, Zacchaeus' name, it means innocent, but he wasn't. If you don't know the context of the story, I'll tell you, see, as a first century tax collector, he worked for the oppressive Roman government and taxed his own Jewish people. He would overtax them to become wealthy from it. So Zacchaeus was seen by people as someone very, very dishonest, disingenuous, even despicable. And they were right. When people saw him, they said, he is disingenuous, he's dishonest, he's despicable. What screws me up in this story, though, is in the midst of being all of those things, Zacchaeus was desperately seeking Jesus. And what I've wondered this week, is there anybody in my life that is too blank to probably be really seeking Jesus? Because I can guarantee you, if I'm in the first century and I'm walking by Zacchaeus all the time and I know what he's about, I can tell you how I'm judging him. He is a dirty cheat. There's no way that he's interested in Jesus. I hate that guy. Jesus saw him and then risked his reputation to be seen with him. So here's what I want to know is, is what fills that blank for us? People that are too blank to probably really be seeking for God. How often do we make the decision for someone else of whether or not they're seeking after God? What about people that are too rich? You ever see somebody really rich and go, eh, I'm probably not seeking for God. They got all the money in the world. I drove past a Lamborghini last week. You know what I thought? Lord, thank you for giving that guy all that money. I hope he's loving it in there. And that, that leather is just massaging his butt cheeks. God, I just pray. <laughs> right? Don't you think that when you see somebody really doing well and like you're driving like an old Accord and they've got a Lambo, don't you just think great things about them? Right? Oh, God, thanks for blessing them. I bet they seek you. I bet they're so generous, Jesus. Oh, they probably live with so much joy. Maybe you do. I don't. Some days I think I'm just barely a Christian. Anybody else there? Like you just got in. You know what I mean? It's like, every, whoo, I'm not sure, right? It's, I, it's, it's, it's like, hey, that person's too rich. They're not, they're not seeking God. They've probably been cheating people to be out that much when they have a Lamborghini. What about people that are too smart to probably be seeking Jesus? You got anybody in your life that's too smart? Right? They're that person that reads a lot of books. They probably listen to NPR. Right? They know a lot about evolution and science. And when you talk to them, you're like, oh, whoa. Right? <laughs> they might even... They might even you know, have a kind of a, a perspective, a po political perspective that seems to be a little 
smarter and more evolved or something than you. And so when you hear them or think of them or see them, they're obviously too smart to probably be seeking after Jesus. Too smart. When the reality is, for me, it's just when I talk to somebody who's really smart that doesn't know Jesus, it's not that I, I think that they wouldn't seek it. It's that I just feel stupid around them. So to feel less stupid, it's easier to judge them that they're probably not seeking. So we're not going to bring up the Jesus thing. I'm not going to see them as someone that may be seeking life change through Jesus because they're too smart. What about too poor? What about too old? I mean, they haven't been following Jesus for 70 years. I mean, I'm sure they, 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 they're just too old, probably too old to seek. I'm really glad that my dad didn't assume that his parents were too old to be seeking for Jesus when he led him to Jesus at 72. Yeah. What about too young? I mean, they're just kids. What a, just, let's entertain them, pacify them. They're too young. I wonder for all of us who's in that gap for us that we just don't see them and we're not willing to risk our reputation to be seen with them because they're too blank for us. Here's what I love, though, and I got this perspective by a sermon from Erwin McManus, one of my favorite pastors, is he said, he said it this way, and it, it, it wrecked me, is who do I think I'm better than? Because what I've noticed is that all the times I seek after Christ and believe he has forgiven and sought after me and forgiven me, I'm never too blank for that. I always make it into his grace. So what if I could just ask God to begin to help me love people the way that he's loved me, to where I could see anyone and exist to spend time with them and be seen with them. The mission goes on and it just gets worse, honestly. Because now it's we've got to exist to see people far from God, to disciple them. To disciple them means that I have to be seen with them and give them my time and my effort and my emotions. I have to disciple them. Josh talked about it last week. They're a learner. They've got to learn from somebody. Isn't it interesting in this story that Jesus doesn't bring, like, Zacchaeus down from the tree and in that moment, like, hey, Zacchaeus, do you want to, like, salvation right now? Like, you want to pray to ask me into your heart? Like, it doesn't happen right then, right? And Jesus actually never says ask people into his, his heart, but anyway. Uh, Jesus doesn't try to have a salvation message altar call at the base of the tree, which would have been easier for Jesus, let's be honest. Hey, Zacchaeus, I see you, bro, come down. He comes down. I was going over here. I've got some stuff I'm planning to do in my life, and if I go to your house, I don't know if you know about, you do know about your reputation in town. Yeah, so all of these super religious people, if I go to your house, bro, muttering is going to start. They already want to kill me. We can't hang out. Would you just want to, do you want to just transactionally right now, like I'll, whatever, just, you know, we'll give you the salvation and then you can just go. And I can just go. And... Now, Jesus says, hey, why don't you come down? I got to go. I got to go to your house today. We're going to spend some time together. To fulfill this mission, we have to be willing to risk our reputation to be seen with people that are far from God in our life. So right now, if you're looking at your life and there's no relationships that might cause muttering in super religious, judgmental people, maybe you need to ask God to help you stir up some muttering relationships, right? 
Jesus, could you find me? Help me see some muttering people. Here's what Jewish tradition says. It's not in the Bible, so I can't say that it's biblical. What I can say is it's Jewish tradition says this, that Zacchaeus became a disciple of St. Peter and that he was sent out as one of the 70 and that then Zacchaeus became the first bishop of the church in Caesarea. It's not in the Bible, but Jewish tradition says that that is what happened. That Zacchaeus comes down from the tree and Jesus says, we're going to spend some time together. And that begins this discipleship process. And then Jesus says, hey, Peter, hang out with Zacchaeus. Then Zacchaeus gets sent out. And then because he's actually replicating and learning from the relationship with Jesus and the relationship with Peter, he becomes passionate, models that, and then gives his life for the mission of Jesus Christ. So the question is for our life is, is Jesus is going to send people of peace into your life that are custom made for you to see and for you to be seen with? And here's what's going to happen. Here's the dangerous part, and here's how it ends. We're out of time. We're going to disciple them into a passionate relationship with Jesus. That means the people that you disciple will probably only become as passionate about Jesus as you are. Man, I don't like that either. Do you, like, here's a thought that came this week that I disliked. What if the, uh, what if the, the gauge of passionate relationship with Jesus at Mercy Road was just based off of my life or yours. Because then the possibility could be we exist to see people discipled into a mediocre, when I have enough time, it's okay sort of relationship with Jesus. And what we do is we lie to ourselves because we pay people to work here. We think things like this. Well, everybody will become as passionate as Josh is about Jesus. Or Eric. He's passionate. He reaches people that are on drugs and does missionary stuff. As long as we got Josh and Eric and Pastor Darren's, he's crazy. He's shirtless on speedboats. He's lost his mind, right? So people will be as passionate as those guys are. No, they won't. Because they'll think we're crazy outliers to this situation. But whoever is in relationship with them, you see, the person that you're spending the most time with that's far from God, they're not going to become like me. They're going to become like you. So what I've had to ask myself this week is, is what happened for Zacchaeus? And here's the only thing I can figure out. Is that in that moment it actually became real that the Savior of the world, the Son of the living God, saw him and risked everything to spend time and be with him. And that interaction with Jesus absolutely revolutionized his heart, soul, mind, and strength where he became willing to suffer and became passionate for whatever this movement was. And then for him, the crazy part is he actually got to watch it evolve. And then one day, this guy that saw him and was seen with him actually then gave his very life on a cross to die for his eternal life in connection to him. And I think that it's, it, for me at least, and maybe for Zacchaeus, and probably for you, is if that became the, the, the ongoing continual encounter that I had with the living God, I think the only reasonable response... to live a life of passion for it. 
So if we're at a place right now of lukewarm mediocrity, don't receive it with judgment or shame this morning, but I want to invite you to get curious about your soul and your heart and say, Jesus, right now, I don't think I'm that passionate. Maybe it means that I've never really encountered you. So Jesus, could you... Jesus, could you let me feel again what it's like to be seen by you? Jesus, I'm not up in a tree this morning, and, and my name's not Zacchaeus, and it's not the first century, but, but I got some stuff. And I can be dishonest, and I can be disingenuous, and sometimes I can even be despicable, Jesus, but could you just let me feel today what it's like to be seen by you and not rejected, but to be accepted. Let it sink in this morning, Jesus, what it means that you would risk your very reputation and you would give your, your, your life to be seen with me. Jesus, I pray that you would allow that to become a fire of passion burning in our soul so that it recalibrates our life that we would exist to see people far from God discipled into a passionate relationship with Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name.